Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for all that you do. You are the air that we breathe. You are a rock and our foundation. We thank you that you are real. You have revealed yourself to us. And now we worship you. We are waiting to hear a word from you. We guide our, 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 our time together now as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back to Sabbath Evangelism. We have our... Are we on the screen yet? Well, while we, uh, we get that all worked out, Sabbath Evangelism is our second... Uh, installment of our, our Sabbath evangelism, and today we're entering into sort of holy territory. Holy territory. We're going to answer a question that it's a common one you hear a lot about, and that question is, who is God? Who is God? And, and, and attached to that question, uh, uh, or close together, is what is he like? Who is God, and what is he like? Now, this is this is a common question we hear a lot about, uh, from, especially from uh, the members of the newer, uh, younger generations. You know, the X, what, what is it, the Gen Y, is it Gen, Gen X? I know there's Gen Zs and Gen Y. I don't know. I can't keep up. But, but there are, is the younger generation. Now, and of course, we come to church. We, you could argue that, you know, maybe if, if you grew up as a Christian, it is a, a, a a non-issue. You've never asked that question. But maybe some of you here, even, even though you may be uh, 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 from the older generation, you've wondered about God. Who is he and what is he like? This is what we're going to attempt to answer this morning. Now, you know, we live in a time where loneliness is becoming an epidemic. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's sad in a sense because we live in a time with the advances in technology, um, with the whole issue of social media. You know, when I was growing up, of course, we didn't have none of that. You know, uh, um, it was hard to keep in touch with people. But today, you know, we be with, with social media, with, um, with things like uh, Duo and, and these other platforms that you can just see each other when you're, you know, having a phone call. You can see each other on the screen. This was kind of sci-fi stuff when I was growing up. You know, Star Trek, you see it on Star Trek that, you know, that you see this. But now we can, we can see it. We can see our family members. We talk to our daughter, and we see her, you know, on the screen. We can, we can see each other. And again, with, the, with this uh, social media, you can have uh, uh, thousands of friends in your social media and keep in touch with people. And in spite of all that, people are still lonely. Loneliness is the, the epidemic of our time. You know, there are some... Um, some reports that suggest that 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young people, and young adults, and 51% of mothers with young children feel serious loneliness. And maybe you here today feel the same way. You know, um, especially now with the, where we are in the post, if you will, COVID-19 time, although we're still in the midst of it. But you remember when, when this whole issue started, 
um, when everything closed down, including our, uh, the churches closed down, people were very lonely because uh, for a lot of people, the only uh, uh, connection that they had with others, the, the, the only uh, connection to, to have social interactions with each other happened at church at times, and now church was closed. And we, we heard about this even in our own congregation, some of the, especially the elderly folks who were suffering from loneliness. So many lonely people. And of course, this is not what God wants for us, is he? Is it? It was a wise Solomon who said in Ecclesiastes 4.10, But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. God doesn't want us to feel lonely. And you know, psychologists, they tell us that at all times uh, in our lives, we must have at least one person that cares about us and a, and a person that we care for at all times. And much unhappiness and depression and many suicides are a result of, pe of people feeling lonely. You know, you may, have, you may know people in your own life that, 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 that have committed suicide. I know I have. I've had colleagues, friends that have committed suicide, all because of, of the depression that comes from loneliness. Well, but think about it. If, if, the, if the past holds no meaning, if, if the present has no joy, then the future has no hope. And that's where we are. That's where we are. Where, what, what is there to live for, people ask. What is there to live for? Many people embark in dangerous trips trying to fulfill the void. You know, they do all kinds of things to, to fulfill, to, to find meaning in their life. So they'll use drugs, they'll use alcohol, they use different forms of entertainment, prostitution, you name it. There are so many things that people do to, to try to, to, to find some meaning to escape the loneliness, but nothing works. And when they do all those things, they find a deeper loneliness than before, friends. And so the question is, is there more to life? Is there more to this life? Is there someone who cares for you? Are you important to someone? I would say that, yes, there is someone who cares. You know, I'm reminded of the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob was the um, uh, grand one child of Abraham, son of Isaac, and uh, if you follow the story in Genesis, we read that, that his own brother wanted to kill him. He was running from his own brother because his brother wanted to kill him. He, for the first time in his life, uh, Jacob was by himself, felt abandoned even by God himself. And on one occasion, he is laying on the ground, sleeping with, with a rock for a pillow. And God appeared to him. God actually gave him a dream. And in that dream, there was a ladder, and the ladder went up to heaven, and the angels ascended and descended upon that ladder. And this was God's way of showing Jacob how much he cared. And notice the words that God told Jacob, Genesis 28, 15, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you. Some of you this morning need to hear that. You need to meditate on that. God is telling you today, no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. I will not leave you. Jesus said it himself, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you. You know, you, you know we, the, the, it's fortunate that we don't have to make a line and, 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 and see, because God is so busy with running the universe that we have to make a line. We have to, we have to get a ticket to see what, for God to get to us. God is always available. He is always there. But now many people wonder, well, how can I trust a God that I can't see? I mean, he, he, he seems so far away. Can anyone really know what God is like? Notice what the word of God says in Job twenty-two twenty-one. 21. 
Now, acquaint yourselves with him and be at peace. What does it say? Acquaint yourself. In other words, get to know God. Have a deep relationship with him. When you get to know God, the result is what? You will have peace. And I think there's a lot of need of peace in our world today. Well, if you are in search for that peace, friends, the Bible says that you will have that peace if you get to know this God. If you get to know who he is and his character and what he wants for you. We're invited to get to know him. But now, how do, we, how do we know there is a God? And what, what evidence is there out there that he even exists? Well, the prophet Isaiah knew that there was evidence. And, 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 and in order for us to find out about that evidence, he invites us to look at astronomy. How many of you like astronomy? Not astrology, but astronomy you know, there's a scientific study of, of planets and stars and the space. I love that stuff. We have a telescope at home. We don't use it as often as we should, uh, as we could. But, you know, looking at the stars and, and seeing the planets, I, since I was a little kid, I love that stuff. Maybe that's why I like Star Trek, too. But, you know, this is what Isaiah says. Our, our scripture reading, Isaiah 40, verse 26, the invitation is lift up your eyes on high notice like as if outer space, and see who has created these things. When you think about it, when you look in the sky in those clear nights, all those stars that you see, who has created those things? Who brings, them, who, who, who brings out their hosts by number? We'll see here in a little bit that those little lights that you look at at night not, not, are not stars, but galaxies. Many of them are galaxies. He calls them out by name. Why? Because he owns them. By the greatness of his might, that is, by his capacity and the strength of his power, because he is our sustainer, not one is missing. God is reliable, and God is faithful. Now, centuries ago, uh, you know, men always marveled at space and wondered what secrets lied behind the, the space and the stars and what they saw. Now, and interestingly enough, during the Dark Ages, the church actually did not want men to uh, dabble into looking at the space with the newly invented telescope because they believed that the more men knew about the secrets of space, that they would lose their faith in God. But actually, it was the contrary. As, as, as they invented better telescopes and, and they were able to go deeper into space, the faith of men has increased. Notice what David said, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, the heavens declare the glory of God. Why? Because he is the designer. And the firmament shows his handiwork. He is the creator. By the way, I, saw, I see some of you writing. We have a study guide for you at the end of the service. As you exit the science sanctuary, you'll have a study guide with everything here. So, and the firmament shows his handiwork. He is the creator, and he is creative as well. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Because he is intelligent. Uh, what we see is evidence of an intelligent design. There's no speech, no language where their voice is not heard because it is universal. It is a witness to the entire universe of the Creator God. You know, before the invention of telescopes, men decided to count the stars that they were able to see. That was it's gotta had to be an arduous work. Imagine you trying to count the stars and then you lose your count, and you know, how do you how do you start again? 
Well, as they counted, they figured out that there was exactly 5,119 stars. No more. That's what they figured. Now, I will say that even if that were true, if, if, if only there was only 5,119 stars, that's enough evidence to praise God, because that's amazing. But notice what the Bible says. He says, it says there in Jeremiah 33, 22, the host of heaven cannot be numbered. And not 5,119 stars, it can't number, you can't number the stars. There's how many, and we're going to see that here in a second. What you, what you see here on the screen, that's the Milky Way. And that's, of course, that's the galaxy where our planet is. And interestingly enough, as I said earlier, many of those uh, dots that you see twinkling in the sky at night are not just stars. Many of them are galaxies. And each of these galaxies has their own suns, blazing suns. And these suns have their own system of planets around them. I, I want you to wrap your mind around these things, friends. Because this is amazing. God's creation is amazing. Notice this statement here from astronomer Fritz Kahn. Our home in the universe is a spiral of 200 billion stars. Not 5,119, but 200 billion stars. A unit of suns whirling through space like a fiery pinwheel. Each 24 hours, our galaxy travels a million and a half miles through space at more than 66,000 miles per hour. And he asked the question, are you feeling tired yet? Uh, anyone who has traveled that far in a day has the right to be tired, right? Notice, beyond our Milky Way system, stretching above, below, and around us are millions of other Milky Ways. How many? Millions of other Milky Ways. The huge 200-inch hail reflector at Palomar Mountain can see as many as a million galaxies inside the bowl of the Big Dipper alone. Wrap your mind around that. You know, there is, um, there is an app that you can download to your phone. Lucy has it. Where um, once you, you open the app, you can sort of put your phone and, and sort of point at the sky. And it will map out all the stars for you. Uh, it has music behind it. It's really cool. And, uh, and it tells you the names of the stars and everything. You can download that. I, I forget what it's called, but Lucy has it if you have questions. She has it. All the time when we're at night, she looks, oh, look, look. She, and look, look, the Big Dipper over here. And, and, and a million galaxies just through the Big Dipper alone. And, of course, with the advances in, in technology, we have now the Hubble telescope. You've heard of the Hubble telescope, right? Yeah. The Hubble telescope now, they, they, you know, the, the, has found that, that, that our galaxy has between 200 and 500 billion stars. This is just our galaxy. Now, some of you have, have probably seen this, uh, these pictures that I'm going to show you. You've probably seen them online. They sort of make a comparison of the size of Earth to some of the other bodies and planets and stars in our, in our system. So you see how, how much bigger our planet is as compared to the moon. But if we step a little bit back, we have there what? We have there Mercury and Mars and Venus. You see how much bigger uh, the Earth is with the others, and it's just a tad bigger than Venus. And you step back a little more, and there you find uh, um, uh, Neptune and Uranus. Neptune and Uranus. You see how much bigger Neptune and Uranus are as compared to planet Earth. And then you step back a little more and you find Saturn. 
And you see how much bigger Saturn is in comparison. You know how, notice how, how the Earth becomes smaller? And then you have Jupiter, and you see how much bigger Jupiter is. And then you have our sun, and you see how tiny now these planets are in comparison. You think how big the sun is, but you look at Sirius. This is a star, how much bigger Sirius is than, uh, than our sun. And then you have Pollux. You see how, how bigger Pollux is than Sirius. Uh, you can't see our planet anymore, by the way, of course. It's just a grain of sand now, right? And you, and you get back, you have um, Arcturus. You see how big it's, it looks like the sun, but see how much bigger it is than the sun. Then you have Rigel and Albedran. And then you step back and you have this nebula called the Eta Carinae and then Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse, I know. It's, all, it's like the movie, yeah. It's called Betelgeuse. You see how big this is? It, it, and this is just, you know, in our, in our own system. Isn't that something? Wrap your minds around that. You know, God used this the illustration of the stars of heaven when he told Abraham about his descendants. In, in Genesis chapter 15 and then in chapter 22, he said, your descendants shall be as the stars of the heaven. He said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. You know, there was one astronomer one time, one time that he said that if you were able to count all the grains of sand in all the seashores of the world, you would have approximately the same number of stars than you have grains of sand. Imagine that. I mean, all, I mean, I mean just you, if you just take a cup of sand and you just try to count that, imagine how, how long that would take you. That's how many stars there are in the heavens. Can't you count the stars? Well, again, man wanted to, and they counted 5,100 and 19 stars, but can we do that? Well, again, the Hubble telescope, mentioned it earlier, advances in technology. Um, some years ago, they decided that they wanted to uh, take a picture or, or focus the lens, the camera of the Hubble telescope, in a very tiny area of the sky. The sky. And so what they did is that they found this little tiny area about the tenth the size of the moon. So if you think about looking uh, when there is a full moon in heaven, in the sky, about the tenth of that size. Some people, uh, I've heard it referred to uh, as that the size of the area that the camera focused on was about the size of a grain of rice. They, they focus the, the lens of the telescope, the Hubble telescope, to see what they could get through there, okay? Do you know what, they, what, what, what uh, after four months, you know what they found? This is what came back. Now, this picture, I know that it's, it's kind of small on the screen, but you see all the tiny dots there, right? You see all those tiny dots. Notice, each dot in this image is an entire galaxy. An entire galaxy. Each galaxy contains up to one trillion stars. Now, again, let's wrap our minds around that if we can, right? Up to a trillion stars. Each star may have a system of planets. So, again... All those tiny dots you see there, again, they focus the little camera on that tiny space, comes back with a picture of all these galaxies. Each galaxy has a trillion stars, up to a trillion stars, and each star can have its own system of planets. On this photo, there are over 10,000 galaxies. 10,000 galaxies, each up to a trillion stars, and each star can have its own system of planets, all from a little tiny space in heaven, in, in, in the space. 
Imagine that, just that tiny area. Imagine the whole universe, imagine. It's amazing. This is amazing, friends. The psalmist said it best when he said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit with him? Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever wondered if God is so busy sustaining the entire universe? I often think about that. Our own planet alone. That God is so busy with the issues of our own planet that how can God pay attention to my little problem here in this corner of the, of the world? God has created this entire universe. How can he be so concerned about the problems on this little tiny edge of the world and this planet? But God is. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 10. He said, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Uh, verse 30, but the hairs of your head are all numbered. God cares for you, friends. He is paying attention to what's happening in your life. You know, it's difficult for us to comprehend, for, for us, again, to wrap our minds around all this complexity of the universe. But really, when we look at it, everything is working so perfectly like the, the most sophisticated watch. Everything works so well. Paul talks about this. He's, he's speaking of Jesus, and he says that he is before all things, and in him all things consist. It is through Jesus that this is all kept. God keeps this all running perfectly. Here's a, a statement from Dr. Edwin Frost from the Yerkes Observatory. Notice what he said. Uh, you get, you, it's kind of small on the screen, but it says, There is no evidence that the universe is automatic or that it is uh, within itself has the power to make laws which govern it. No matter, uh, a mere matter cannot be endowed with such capacity. The universe is not a haphazard aggregation of accidental bodies moving without order, uh, uh, without system or order. It is the work of what? Of omnipotence. This is a scientist, friends. He's saying that, listen, the, the complexity of the universe is so great, this cannot have happened by accident. Matter doesn't have the capacity to do this. This is the work of a divine creator. This comes from a scientist that says it, friends. So whether we study the tiny atoms or whether we study the great galaxies, we, we find evidence of a master designer, of master intelligence. Uh, we witness a creator God. In fact, the first sentence of the Bible says it. In the beginning, God created everything. It didn't happen because of an explosion. It wasn't an accident. It was intentional. God did it. He spoke and it was done. Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Bible says God did it, friends. God took his uh, unlimited energy and congealed it into matter. Notice what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 10, 12. He has made the earth by what? By his power. He has established the world with it by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens uh, uh, at his discretion. There's plenty of evidences, friends, of, of God's care, of his eternal existence. Notice Romans 1.20. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by what? By the things he has made. The, 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 the creation testifies of who God is. It testifies of the power of God. Oh, friends, there, it, it, some, some things are just logical. 
logical. Think about this. God's footprints. If you are in, a, in an island and you think that you're by yourself and all of a sudden you're walking on the seashore and you see the, these footprints, you didn't make them, what's the logical conclusion? Somebody else is there that made those footprints. And friends, we have God's footprints everywhere. We have God's footprints everywhere. Notice here, you see the, the, the little, what are these called? The hummingbirds. Uh, 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 Vic, you have plenty of these in your house, don't you? Yeah, yeah we, 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 we've been there, and it's, it's, it's really something to watch. It's amazing the, the, the things that God's and his nature. These are footprints of God. Notice the, the brilliant sunsets, each uniquely beautiful, crowning the steps of the day. These are God's footprints, friends. The tiny snowflakes. We don't want any more snow, do we? I don't want any more snow. But they say that each snowflake is different than, than the next. It's amazing, God's creator. Uh, uh, the, prof uh, the profusion of fragrant flowers, each you know, delicately tainted, uh, dotting the landscape. God's footprints in the redwoods and the picturesque Joshua trees. God's footprints in, in the uh, autumn maples. God's footprints in the front winter frost and the snow-capped mountains. All testifies of an awesome God that made everything. There are plenty of footprints of our God everywhere we go. The works of the Lord are, are what? Are great. His works, his work is honorable and glorious. Honorable and glorious. And God not only made uh, heaven and earth, not only made man, he gave us, he, he provides for us. He takes care of our needs. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. God takes care of, of our needs. I was talking about this this morning in, a, in, in, our, in our Sabbath school, a little discipleship class that, you know, often it is during winter when it gets cold outside that I think I'm so thankful for what God is providing for me, a roof over my head, a warm bed to sleep in, the heat in my house, the clothes in my back, the food on my table. It is God who is providing all this for us, friends. And then there's, there's, there's so many... Um, I lost it. There you go. The divine water system. I want you to think about some of these things that God has done. The water that we drink, they say it's older than the pyramids, right? So the water can be contaminated by, you know, chemicals or by waste. But what happens? You know, it rains and then the sun comes out and it brings up the water and it evaporates, goes back and it's cleansed over there and it's recycled and God sends it right back. Right? That's the water system. How about the big power plant in the sky. Mentioned the sun earlier. And you know, they say that if the sun was a, a little bigger or just a tiny bit closer to the earth, it would burn us alive. Everything would be, you know, burned up. If it was just a tiny bit smaller or a tiny bit farther away, we would freeze. Either way, life would not be possible. But God placed it exactly where it needed to be. How about the air that we breathe? Uh, let's, see, let's see who knows this. How, how, what is the percentage of oxygen in the atmosphere? Come on, come on. 21. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's it. 21%. Actually, it's 20.88, 20 something like that. And then nitrogen, it's, I think it's 78%. The point is, it's exactly what we need. See, if it was, um, if it was 20%, we couldn't breathe. If it was 22%, we would burn up. So either way, it, it's just exactly what we need. 
God, God knows it all, friends. God knows it all. Job 12.10 says, But in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. He, our lives are in his hand. And you know, he created the world for us to enjoy it. To enjoy it. There is some, you know, even, even though there, you know, with sin and everything, there are some just beautiful places in this world. And God wants us to enjoy it. In fact, he created the world for us to enjoy it and for us to live in it. This is Isaiah 45, 18. Who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. This flies in the face of those who, uh, you know, believe in evolution and, and, you know, the Big Bang, you know, that for millions of years a planet was uninhabited until somehow the life came about. But God did not create the world like that. He created it for the purpose for people to live in it, for us to enjoy it. There's no end to the wonders of nature, friends. Yeah, the migration of the birds, one of the greatest puzzles of nature. You know, how can birds weigh in less than one ounce, travel nonstop through miles of, 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 of you know, places where he, they've they, they never seen before and get there? How do they know that? How about the, the fish, the, the salmon? They travel 1,200 miles to their natal streams, you know, through the water. And again, they, don't, they, never, you know, they don't know how to get there. There's no map for them to follow. But they get there. How, how does that happen? How about the honeybee? The honeybee, they say that the, uh, the, the honeycomb is an engineering marvel. How does the honeybee make it? You know, it's so exact. The measurements are, are, are exactly. I mean, the, the, the brain of a, of a honeybee is like the, the, the pinhead. And yet, it does all that. Explain that. And you know what? It, it's, it's ironic that human beings have come up with all sorts of excuses, all sorts of theories of, of how to explain this. But notice what Job tells us. He, told, he tells us to ask the animals. Ask the beasts, and they will teach you. And the birds of the air, and, and they will tell you, or, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain it to you that the hand of God has done it. We, we said, no, no, they, it happened by an accident. It was by a big explosion. Baloney. Ask the dog in your house, and it will tell you, God did it. I'll ask Bailey. I have her picture right here. God did it all. How ironic that is. He did it all, in fact, and it really it is our duty and our privilege to worship him. The reason we worship God, the primary reason we worship God is because he created us. This is why the end time message, the three angels message calls us back to worship him who made heaven and earth. Because the primary reason is creation. God did it all. God did it all. And he also takes care of our needs. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Some of you need to be remembering that because some of you are going through some trials. Some of you have gone through some trials this week. Some of you have become discouraged. Some of you are stressed out. Some of you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Some of you are sick again with COVID. And the Bible says there's nothing too hard for him. God specializes in the impossible. It's impossible for us, but there's nothing impossible for, for him. I mean, he sustains this universe. Imagine the, the vast creation. You can take care of everything in your life. And I don't know about you, but that gives me peace of mind. 
It gives me peace of mind knowing that God will, will not meet anything in the universe that is too hard for him. No problem is too small to bring to the God of the atom. No problem is too big to bring to the God of the galaxies in this universe. Yeah. And one of the most comforting characteristics of God is that he does not change. He is always faithful. He is always trustworthy. He is always dependable. Yeah. Gives me peace of mind knowing that there's nothing in our lives, nothing that can happen that's too hard for God to take care of. And he is always wise to give us what we need exactly when we need it. Yeah? Not, not, not what we want. You know, oftentimes it's what we want. You know, we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer in our, in our discipleship class. And, and you know, our will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because sometimes our will is different than God's. You know, God gives us what he knows is best for us. Maybe you're asking for that Mercedes-Benz, but he knows that Mercedes-Benz is not going to be good for you. Right? Pray that the pastor has it. No. The insurance is too high, Tarana. Furthermore, the Bible tells us what God is really like. God is love. It's who he is. It's what he is. And everything that he does is based on that characteristic. Yeah. Jeremiah 31.3 says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Paul says that there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God because I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. fact is, God loves us when we are lovable and when we're not. And let's face it, most of the time we're not. But he still loves us. He loves us whether we are black or white. He loves us whether we are male or female, whether we are pretty or ugly. He loves us. He loves us. There's nobody like him. But maybe you still don't get it. Maybe you need it explained in such a way that it's just easy to comprehend. And God explains it by asking a question, a sort of a rhetorical question. And the question is, is it possible for a nursing mother to forget her child and not have compassion on that child? You know, they say that besides the love of God, there's no greater love in the world than the love of a mother. Those of you who are moms know what I'm talking about. You would do anything for your, chi your child. And so when, when somebody asks this question, is that possible for a mom to forget her child, to abandon her child? You will not think so, but the fact of the matter is we know that it's possible, isn't it? We hear, know, we hear news about moms who give birth to their children and throw them in a trash can, abandoning their children. You hear stories about man, a mom murdering their own children. So God asked this question, you know, for us to be surprised because, Lord, I, I, I cannot I, I comprehend why a mother would do that, but a mother does. And God says it clearly. Surely they may forget, Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. They may forget, yet I will not forget you. I'll say that again. They may forget, but God's not going to forget you. And the proof is I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. There Jesus uh, the nails driven through his hands, those are those scars that he, that he has because of you. He will not forget you. And God not tried to demonstrate his love toward men. 
he, he, what he was really like, but, but words and, and, and prophets that he sent were not enough. And so he sent his only begotten son. And Jesus was a perfect revelation of the character of God. Jesus said himself, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, then study the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is a perfect revelation of God the Father. He met man's needs. He preached the good news of salvation to everyone. He healed the brokenhearted. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the hungry. He forgave sins. He gave hope wherever he went. You think about him there uh, as he's washing the feet of the very one who will betray him. And when you, when, you, when you put it all together, maybe you can begin to comprehend the love of God for you and for me. Or this planet and rebellion. And of course, uh, the great words of John in chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved Mary, for God so loved Tony, for God so loved Patricia that he gave his only begotten son for you. That's the God that we, that we worship. The question was, who is God and what he's like? That is God, and that's what he is like, friends. He gave his son for a fallen race, a planet in rebellion. Jesus died in your place and in my place. He suffered the cruel beatings, the insults, the thorn upon his, upon his forehead, those nails driven through his hands and his feet, all without protest. And the fact of the matter is that he could have called 10,000 angels and they would have been there in a minute, in a second, and would have saved him. But he couldn't save himself and save us at the same time. And so he chose you. He chose me. That's what God is like, friends. And there, as, as he was hanging on that cross, bruised and bleeding, he uttered the words, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that is our situation at times, friends. We don't know what we're doing, but God has asked, Jesus is asking, God, forgive them. God, forgive them. This is what God is like, friends. And friends, when you get to know God, when you get acquainted with him, you will have peace and you will have the joy in your life. So here this morning, Jesus is extending his invitation to you. He's extending his, his hand to you because he wants to invite you to a, an intimate relationship with him. Because he says, if you get to know me, you will be happy. If you get to know me, you will have peace. If you get to know me, you will have joy in your life. His words are, Matthew chapter 11, tell us, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you accept his invitation this morning? Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.